All right. Well, I'm glad to be doing this with you today. We've been doing this seminar for, I guess, uh, two and a half years, I think. Maybe coming up on three years we've been doing it. We've had the opportunity to train, I think, five or 6,000 people uh, in this seminar. So it's been, and we've seen, I think, the majority of the people that go through it uh, begin to function pretty quickly in the area of healing. Uh, so we want to give you an opportunity this afternoon when we start praying for each other. Uh, we want you to, to step up and, and, uh, and swing, at the, swing at the pitch and see if you can get something working. Um, there is a truth that nearly all those people who hold the home run records also hold the strikeout records. And uh, so you, you, in order to do healing ministry, you have to get up and practice. We teach people that you learn to do healing ministry in this kind of fashion, head, heart, hands. And what we mean by that is that you do need to get your intellectual questions answered, you need to understand what the Bible actually teaches about this subject, you need to understand what Jesus taught his disciples. Get your, and we find that many people are just a few questions away from getting this working. Hopefully we'll answer those questions. We'll even answer, try to answer questions you don't even know you have yet. And uh, once you get those questions answered, then what we see is that many people, a few people anyway, have some heart issues. You know, what will happen if I try to do this and, and I don't see healing happen? You know, fears, uh, concerns about rejection. Um, by the way, you don't get much rejection doing healing ministry. You know, there's only two or three nasty people in the world. They just move around a lot, you know. We never can get settled. So well, how do I deal with those kinds of things? Uh, some other hard issues arise sometimes about how do you deal with finances, popularity. Uh, healing ministry at one level make, can make you somewhat popular in some people and unpopular with others. And in fact, nobody ever said anything uh, really bad about me publicly until I started seeing thousands of people heal. And uh, so they'd said something nasty about Jesus, too, when he was doing that, so... So uh, heart issues, when you deal with the heart issues properly, then the only thing that's left is really practical information, hands issues. And you don't really get the hands kinds of questions until you really are functional. And hands kind of questions are, you know, okay, I prayed for this person. There seemed to be a manifestation. How long should I pray? Those kinds of things, you know, the practical things. I prayed for this person, and the pain moved from one spot to another. What does that mean? You know, uh, by the way, the, what that means is that you're dealing with demonic activity. Because natural pain doesn't move when you pray for it. Check your head up and down, okay? So those are practical kinds of things that you don't really even get those kinds of questions until someone is actually functioning. And uh, so but getting all your questions answered are very important because that will help you really become fruitful. Well, we're, Today we're going to deal with a good portion of those kinds of things. We're going to deal with all three realms and uh, we probably will also generate some questions in you that you didn't know you had, and, and we'll try to do our best to answer those things. I'll be doing one-on-one -on -one with you some uh, uh, as we get ministry functioning, praying for each other. Uh, yet, like last night, I spent a good portion of my time answering questions, so standing over there. And that's, uh, that's good because other people were actually doing the prayer ministry and see, succeeding at getting people healed. We had some testimonies this morning. I heard a couple of things happen. So uh, things were working pretty good. If you look at your booklets, um, it's my pleasure to give you these. Um, if you look at the table of contents, you'll see that there are seven areas that we're going to cover today. And uh, we're going to do six hours of teaching, and sometimes it goes over a little bit over six hours, but uh, I'll do my best to keep it in that framework. Some of these areas will go really quickly. Others will take longer because they, 
uh, just really require me to lay out more, more, more material. Uh, six and seven go really quickly, so if you see late this afternoon, it doesn't look like we're going to get finished, we will. Just hang in there with me, we'll get finished. And uh, my hope is, is that when we're done, you'll just really have confidence that Jesus will work through you in this area and that you can pray for your friends, neighbors, loved ones, and see healing happening. I have a couple in my, that work with me regularly named Tom and Jody. I'll mention them to you off and on. They're a good example. They say that I like to use them as show and tell. Well, that's true. I do. Because they have become fully functional in healing ministry. I've been present when they have prayed for the blind on at least four occasions and they've, people were seeing they regularly have uh, people who, uh, who are chronic, uh, chronic in pain, healed. Uh, I've been present with those, those things that happened. Deafness. Uh, then uh, there's been six or seven occasions when they prayed for someone who was terminal with cancer and they were healed on the spot. They've never been to Bible college, never been to seminary, just good, solid Christian folks, and they got this thing working. Well, one day Tom... And Jody were frustrated a little bit about healing. They came to end up in my house, and we were having dinner together. And, and uh, they were complaining that they prayed for Tom's mother, and she just wasn't getting healed. And I said to them, I said, well, what's different in the way? Um, they said, well, you know, Roger, when we go out with you, lots of people are getting healed. When we pray for them, they get healed. And I said, well, what's different between what you're doing there and what you're doing with mom? And they couldn't put their finger on it. And I said, well, one thing is different is that we don't hardly ever pray for anyone until they've heard the gospel at least an hour. They've heard about Jesus just for at least an hour. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Have you talked to mom about Jesus? And they thought, well, hmm, no, we hadn't done that. We'd just been praying. I said, well, talk to mom about Jesus first, what Jesus has done for her at the cross, that, and it is God's will for her to receive healing, see what happens. And so they did, and guess what? Mom got healed. And not only did mom get healed, she was scheduled to go on a trip out to California to visit some of their relatives. And mom got out to California, and she said, let me tell you how, what happened to me. She's talking to one of her relatives, and she shared the gospel in a real simple way with someone else and prayed for them, and they got healed. Now, mom's just a borderline Christian. So you guys are the committed of the committed. You ought to be able to get this thing working today, Right? So let's, let's, uh, let's congratulate ourselves a little bit. Pat yourself on the back. You're the wisest of the wise. You're rascals, but you're wisest of the wise for being here today. Because if you are not facing a healing situation yourself today, uh, believe me, you will sometime in the future. Uh, with one of your family members or your, you know, personally, you'll be facing something. It's inevitable that this kind of information will become useful for you in the future. Yes? All right, good. All right, let's start with transfer of ministry. Christ trains 12 ordinary men to do his ministry. Everybody say ordinary. ordinary. 12 rascals learn to do Jesus' ministry. Now, what qualified these guys? Were they the smartest guys, the bulbs on the block? No, the answer is not, they weren't. In fact, there's some, fun, there's some funny things in the scriptures, you know, uh, where I think it was Peter, if I'm not mistaken, says to Jesus, uh, Jesus, there's a guy casting out demons in your name over in this other village. Shall we call fire down from heaven to destroy him? You can see Jesus at that point saying, Father, are you sure it's these 12? <laughs> they didn't quite get it. You know, and Jesus says, I think trying to kind of between the lines there, he says to him, you know, Peter, this is kind of what we want to happen. 
We wanted to kind of get loose. Not just you 12 get to do this, but the whole world. We want to see them functioning this way. <clears throat> and uh, what we see is that Jesus says this amazing thing to Peter. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So he's correcting Peter's attitude. So these guys... We're in a learning mode, and they didn't always get it. In fact, it's pretty clear they didn't get it in many situations. They were qualified by one thing only. They stopped what they were doing and followed Jesus. Okay? He called them. That's what qualified them, not because they were smart, not because they were the best students of the Bible or anything else. In fact, if Jesus wanted the people that really were studious in the Bible, he would have called the Pharisees to himself. He, instead, he didn't. He called 12 ordinary men. And they varied in their commitments to Jesus and varied in their so on, but they did stop what they were doing to follow Jesus. And see, again, I want to commend you that you've taken time today to set aside this time to follow Jesus in this particular way, and it's very commendable. Okay, again, pat yourself on the back. All right. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So here's the pattern of Jesus' ministry. He's preaching the gospel. He's traveling from one place to another, preaching the good news about what, Jesus, what, uh, what the Father is going to do in the kingdom, the, the rule of God on the earth, and demonstrating what the message is by simply healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. Now, is anything being left out here? Now, some people have, over the years of doing this, this is my 15th year of doing this kind of ministry, and uh, over the years, I've had people often quiz me about, well, what about genetic problems? Did genetic problems exist in Jesus' day? Is there anything new under the sun as far as sickness is concerned? No, deficiencies and all sorts of things were happening in Jesus' day. All the things that we face today were present in Jesus' day. He was healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. Now, part of the problem in healing ministry is that many people, particularly if you've been exposed to through the medical uh, technology that exists, medical information, you know, nurses, doctors, and others, they can't visualize how these things might happen. And that's part of the problem is some of us, uh, in fact, you hear people sometimes when they're praying, they sound like medical dictionaries. You know, they know a lot about what's wrong with them. And see, in Jesus' day, they wouldn't have known those things. And see, the problem is, is that if you can't figure out how to heal, that, that should not interfere with your understanding that God can do it anyway. They, there's a guy in the body of Christ who's been around since the 70s who has a glass eye. I can't think what his name is. Somebody told me what his name was. I've forgotten. But he has a glass eye. And he can see with 20-20 vision out of the glass eye. Takes the glass eye out. Puts it back in. 20-20 vision. 20-20 vision out of the glass eye. Now, now, some of us would say to God, well, why didn't God just fix his eye? Well, who are us to tell God how to do it? Okay, there's a kid that we prayed for. It was, uh, uh, he was he had a birth defect in his right eye, born blind in that eye, uh, retina completely detached, scar tissue over the back of the eye, completely impossible for him to see through that eye. We prayed for him. Absolutely no change in the eye. 20-20 vision in the eye. So, you know, those of us who 
understand that God is capable of doing all things well, he may do it in a way that we didn't expect. So what's the difference? If you can still see, then it's, you know, the fact is that God doesn't necessarily correct the defect. He just over, he just passes it by. Is that okay? So let's not try to limit God in his capacity to do something. God can fix a genetic problem and just bypass it in some sort of way where the genetic problem just has no effect on the kid or the child or the, the adult any longer at all. That's possible. There's a kid out in uh, San Diego in a church there, his pastor's kid, and had some pretty serious problems because he was uh, born with genetic issues. Um, he's a, a Downs kid, and and uh, we we uh, he had some he had some pretty. Uh, in fact, they were telling. I think the dad was uh, being told that he was going the kid was going to die. We prayed for him. The kid's completely normal at this point. Uh, he, he still has a deficiency in his intelligence, but God has anointed this kid with a prophetic gift. And people come to this church and sit next to this kid. This kid loves baseball. So he'll be talking to you about baseball. He'll sit right, you can sit next to him. He'll talk to you about baseball. Right in the middle of the baseball thing, he'll begin to prophesy to you. And he'll prophesy, and then he'll just shift back into baseball, and then shift back into prophecy, and shift back into baseball. And people come to this church to get ministered to this by this prophetic kid. And God has given him purpose, and how does you know? Uh, we don't tell God how to do it. We just know that he's capable of dealing with these situations. Yes. All right. <clears throat> Every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. And seeing the multitude, you felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. The implication here is, is that if these people had a proper kind of shepherd, that they wouldn't be distressed and downcast. And Jesus is saying between the lines, I'm only one person. And look at this great multitude of people that are out here who have these kinds of needs. Uh, I believe it was uh, Thoreau that said that most people lead lives of quiet desperation. And, you know, I, uh, I was, this morning in breakfast, I was, we were talking about movies and various different things that happened. Uh, this recent Superman movie, I don't know if you've seen it, The Return of Superman. At one point, <clears throat> at one point, Superman takes Lois Lane above the city and asks her if she can, uh, what she hears. And it's complete silence up there. And she says, I hear nothing. And Superman says, I hear everything. And the point is being is that those of us who are not aware of the distressed and downcast nature of people around us is simply because we don't hear what's going on in their hearts. But God sees that. And that people are, many places are struggling around us. You know, ever so often someone uh, in a community will commit suicide and it surprises everyone simply because they don't know what that person is facing, what's going on with them. You know, but the truth is that God does see that. And, the, and we need to be aware that people are living that kind of life. When they need sheep, they're sheep without a shepherd, and they need a shepherd that can help them. When he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What is Jesus saying here? The problem is that there are very few people who can function like Jesus. And what we need to see, of course, is a multiplication of the ministry of Christ. The problem is not the harvest. See, the church often is focused on the folks out there and think that they're the problem. Turn to somebody and say, you're the problem. Okay. We are the church. We're the problem. God, 
we're the problem is that they are actually very responsive to the gospel, but we are afraid of them. We're afraid of rejection. We are not equipped to handle the needs of the people around us, and so we don't get involved quite often. You know, we're content in many cases to sit in church and let somebody else do it instead of getting involved because we're not, purpose, we're not uh, totally equipped to do that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The problem is, is that we don't have enough workers that can do Christ-like. Everyone say Christ-like. Christ-like ministry. We don't need, well, we do. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with more administrators, and there's not, nothing wrong with having nice churches and that kind of thing. But the truth is that will not reach the world. What we need is a multiplication of the ministry of Christ in the church. Everybody say multiplication. multiplication. We need to see many, many more people who can function like Jesus. And that is the object of today. That is the object of what we see in the scriptures. The pattern of ministry is to multiply the ministry of Christ. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Have you noticed that sometimes churches are praying for the lost? And actually, the scripture doesn't teach us to do that. It actually teaches us to pray that workers be sent into the harvest. The scripture doesn't say anything about praying for the lost. They're not the problem. We're the problem, that we're not fully equipped to go reach the harvest. Shake your head up and down. This is what we're doing today. We're equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's what, that's what we're doing. Then, of course, in, there's no chapter divisions in the original manuscript, so into chapter 10, verse 1, and having summoned his 12 disciples, where there's and there means that thought is continuing, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. So what did Jesus do? He multiplied his own ministry in 12 ordinary men, commissioned them to do the very same things. In fact, if we read a little further, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5, the 12, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach the message that you heard from me. That's what he's telling them to do. Duplicate my message. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Do these four things that are... Pretty much, uh, we say 95% of what Jesus did is described in those four things. Let me read them again. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So here, these four things describe the multiplication that Jesus expected these 12 to do. He expected these 12 ordinary men to duplicate his ministry in this fashion. I want you to notice when Jesus says, heal the sick, there's no parentheses here where he said... But God doesn't want to heal some of them. He expected these men to be able to heal the sick. These signs will follow those that believe. He goes on to say, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These signs will follow those that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's a pretty confident statement of Jesus that he expected us to be able to do it. These signs will follow those that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, let me rephrase that for you. These signs will follow those that are gifted. Is that what it says? These signs will follow those that are anointed. Is that what it says? See, if you're waiting to be anointed, and you're waiting to be gifted, 
you're not believing. Everybody see this? You're postponing faith. See? These signs don't follow the gifted. They don't follow the anointed. They follow those who believe. Turn to somebody and say, you qualify. You qualify if you believe. But it requires you to believe. I, there was a time in my life, in my mid-40s, I think some, I said something like this to God. I've been a Christian all my adult life. I believe that Jesus, that you heal the sick. I believe, I believe that there's going to be an amazing revival that's going to occur. I believe that you want to use me in this way. And Lord, if not now, when? I got tired of waiting. And you know what? I said, I, I said I'm tired of waiting, Lord. I want to see it now. And things begin to change. Okay? Salvation is in the now. Faith is in the now. Don't keep postponing. You're waiting for another prophecy to come. How many prophecies do you need? Yeah. You feel inadequate? Join the club. Our inadequ- inadequ- you know, it's not gonna, we're never going to feel adequate to the task because it's Christ. We have to be dependent upon him. You know, if you're waiting for the other shoe to drop so that you feel adequate, there, I promise you something, that there is no other shoe. At some point, you just say, this is what God's word says. It's what Christ commissioned us to. This is what I'm going to do. You just make a decision about it and begin to plow straight ahead. Don't look back. Yeah, that's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. He really expected them to be able to do this. Freely you've received, freely give. He expected these 12 ordinary guys to be able to accomplish this. And believe me, they were anything but perfect. Anything but mature. They were able to get these things done in their immaturity. Back a few years ago, I was ministering in the, on the East Coast, uh, uh, New Jersey, let's see, Massachusetts. And a uh, small church there. And, and I, uh, um, at some point, one of the kids came up named Aaron. I remember him, he, nine years old at the time came up and stood, he said, came up and he said, he said, can I pray for the sick? And I said, hey, why not? You know, this kid wants to do it, so he did. So he started laying hands on people, and he was mimicking me a little bit. He says, I, he says, I feel heat. Do you feel heat? <laughs> and those people would say, yeah, actually, I do. I feel something. And there was about 20, 25 people in that service that got healed through this nine-year-old kid praying for them, Aaron. And the pastor, later on, he says, oh, boy, well, the Lord was really making your point that he'll use anyone. Anyone who wants to be used? I said, yeah, I can see that. He says, oh, no, you don't see it, Roger. This kid, Aaron, is the goofiest kid in our church. He says, the reason I have a lock on my office door is because of this kid. He said, one day I came into my office, and this kid, with, he didn't have an explanation, but he was standing on the top of my desk. <laughs> he said, by using Aaron, the Lord was really telling our entire church that he'll use anyone. Turn to somebody and say, you qualify. <laughs> you do qualify. <laughs> if you'll notice it, also Jesus says, freely you receive, freely give, do not acquire gold and silver. Jesus disconnects uh, putting a price tag on your ministry. Believe me, this, uh, if you get healing working, people will want to buy you. 
you have opportunities to sell out in that regard. Uh, I've had to put on my website, you know, because there's a lot of sick people out there, and uh, some of those sick people are rich people. And uh, I've had many offers over the years to get on a plane and, and go somewhere, and somebody offered me a lot of money to, to go pray for their sick loved one. Now, I can't do that. Now, what I do do in those circumstances, I say to them, I'd be glad to pray for your loved one, but not on this basis, not on the basis of you paying me something. However, if you'll open your home or rent a hotel uh, you know, um, meeting thing or something, and you hold a meeting, invite all your friends and neighbors, and put an ad in the paper so the poor can come, and we won't put a price tag on any of it, I'll be glad to come. Bring the good news to, your, to whoever wants to do that and pray for your loved one as well, but not on the basis of being paid to do it. Freely you receive, freely give. See, and the thing is, if you get healing working pretty well, you will have people that want to do that with you. Do not acquire gold and silver. Christ also trained 70 more. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Same issue. Therefore, receipts the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. So how many people in Jesus' own day were commissioned to do his ministry? More than 80. Clearly, it is the pattern of Jesus' ministry that what we see is a multiplication of his ministry in ordinary folks. So I qualify and you qualify. And he trained rascals to do his ministry. Again, he didn't look to the most religious people of his own day or the most studious or or the ones that were high class. He looked to ordinary people who responded to him. So I don't know about you, but I feel like I qualify. How about you? You qualify? Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you qualify for healing ministry. (laughs) You guys enjoying that way too much, okay? We notice also here Jesus at the end of this, he says, carry no purse. No bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. What's this about? Well, it's about this. Because when they came back, Jesus said, asked them an important question. He said, did you lack anything when I sent you out with nothing? He said, no, Lord, everything was taken care of. They learned an important lesson of stewardship, that God will take care of their needs. And they did not need to tax the church for the spiritual gift that they were functioning in. Very important aspect as we disconnect. I've had... uh, Let's just, let me just say to you, there's been some important examples of what poor character does in the church in recent days. Lots of damage. You can get healing ministry working uh, because of grace. And you don't have to have you a person of good character to do that. In fact, Judas, it's pretty clear that Judas functioned in healing ministry. Say, God heals the sick because he's good, not because we are. See? It's not, an, it's not evidence of our, of our goodness. It's, in fact, faith in Christ is not even evidence of our goodness. You know, what it is is evidence of that we simply have faith. We, it's evidence that God is good. And so it's possible to get things working and even have them working fairly well for a while. But if you do not have the foundation of good character, you can't keep it working. 
you will not keep it working. And it's a very important truth is that character matters. And you will not succeed and stay in ministry if you can't do the right thing before the Lord, if you don't obey him. Shake your head up and down, okay? All right, good. Now, that's not to say that you can't get it working today, even with some of the issues that you may have. All right, everybody's got a few. The question is, which direction are you turning on them? Are you turning to the Lord to get help on them and so on? Everybody's got some things that they're working through. But let's just remind ourselves that character matters, and God is concerned about good character. And God's at work in us to make that happen, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That sounds nice, doesn't it? God's at work in you and I to bring peace to us, that we be at peace with him, be at peace with ourselves, be at peace with other people. Character is a good thing, wonderful thing. Let's move on here. Look, uh, verse 9, heal those who are in it or are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So the 70 were supposed to heal the sick. They were also supposed to preach the same message that the 12 were supposed to preach and that Jesus would, would, had taught them. Verse 17, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they were doing the full gamut of things that the 12 were doing and that Jesus himself was doing. Again, a repetition, uh, a duplication, a multiplication of the ministry of Christ. Impartation of spiritual gifts. Often people have asked me over the years, will you impart to me the gift of healing that you seem to have? And uh, I've, my response to that has been, well, I'd be glad to give it to you, but I'm not done with it. Um, now, is impartation a truth? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. However, there's another corresponding truth that also needs to be emphasized. It's the, and this truth can be called formation. Everybody say formation. formation. Formation has to do with what kind of vessel you are. Back a few years ago, a lot of years ago, I was a young man in Louisiana, northern Louisiana. My father worked for an oil company. We moved around in Texas and Louisiana. And, uh, and uh, I was a kid that spent a lot of time in the woods, Eagle Scout, all that kind of thing. And loved, to, loved the woods. And unfortunately, sometimes in the summertime, we would get these summer rains, and the, it would just be so thick that you couldn't you know, really get outdoors. Couldn't see across the street because of the heavy, heavy rains coming down. And so I would go into the garage, and my mother had all sorts of vessels in the garage. She had mason jars. She had uh, Coke bottles, uh, quart ones and small Coke bottles. And she had... Uh, uh, she had a big wash tub, all sorts of things in, her, in the garage. So I'd stick those things out into the rain. And I learned something about vessels. I discovered that the opening at the top determined how much it could receive. Everybody look at me for a second here. The opening at the top determines how much you can receive. <laughs> and Coke bottles, even though they had some depth to them, some new quart ones were big, they couldn't receive much because of the opening of the top was narrow. You know, the, in fact, uh, I discovered those mason jars could receive quite a bit, and they'd fill up over a period of time. And, boy, that wash tub had tremendous capacity because it had depth, and it was open at the top, and it just would fill and fill and fill. In fact, it got so heavy with water, I, I had to get sometimes to get my dad to help me to tip it over so, because it was so heavy with water. So I think that people are a lot like that. You know, there's some people that are good character. They have some depth and so on, but their opening at the top, their understanding is, is narrow, so they don't really receive much from God. That's why understanding is an important thing. God did, gave us a brain for a reason. He did. He wants us to understand. The Greek word logos, which is the word, 
you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is a description of Jesus. The Greek word logos is also translated as reason. Jesus is the reason of God. He is the logic. You hear that word, logic? Logos? He is the logic of God. And when we understand what he taught, it makes incredible sense. It makes incredibly logical from God's perspective. So we can come to understand things and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that way. That, that so these things are not mysteries anymore in the sense that we understand that God loves those people standing in front of us. He wants to do the best he can for them, and we can have that expectation when we pray for them. And, and it's not mysterious that God helps people. Did you know that? It's not mysterious. How can he not help people? He's just full of love. Shake your head up and down. <laughs> so in any case... What we need to do is formation needs to precede impartation. People need to be deeper vessels. They need to have good character. And they need to have their understanding increased. If we um, were able to use a spiritual camera, we had a special camera, and we were able to take a picture of this group today. And those people who had um, healing really working, you know, we used the word aura last night, so let me use it again. They had a bright red aura around them. And those who didn't have it quite working, but they have some things happening, you know, that, that they're, they're growing in that area and they're starting to see some things happen. And they've had a few experiences with healing. Perhaps they were pink, you know. They, and then there would be those in this room that don't have much of anything happening yet. You know, that's, that's, that would be the reality that we would face in most situations. And the fact that the Bible really does say that some have healing working and some don't, okay? The, the scripture is that. However, this is not a static thing, unchangeable thing. It's a dynamic thing. It's a constantly changing thing. That God is constantly imparting spiritual gifts to his children. And when people go through equipping and they have their formation, their understanding change, when they have encouraging, they have better character, that things begin to change. As a result, they become a better vessel, and therefore they, God fills them with more of what, uh, what, they, what needs to happen. And so if I were to come back later this afternoon, maybe this evening, and take the same picture of the same group, we would see perhaps those who are red now maybe are a little brighter red. And those who are pink now are red. And those who didn't seem to have anything happening, most or if not all of them, are now pink. That things are happening. There's a, that there is a dynamic change happening in God's people as they get equipped. See? Turn to somebody and say, you can get equipped today. I had a, uh, I'm a reasonably computer literate. Um, done a lot of things with computers over the years. And uh, I was back in the days before Windows, we were working with bulletin board systems, which was kind of similar to the Internet, except that, People did it with my phone lines and so on. You, you understand bulletin board systems. I, he's been around for a while, too. <laughs> and uh, ran bulletin board systems, Christian bulletin board systems, and did a lot of various different things in that realm. And uh, one of the things that uh, I learned on early is that just about everything I can learn, I can learn whatever, if you set a computer in front of me and give me the right kind of instruction, I can learn it. There's a learning curve, you know, and some things take a while to learn, but you can learn it. But I didn't start that way. I didn't start with that kind of confidence. And quite the contrary. In fact, when I got my first computer, an Apple II, I remember what it was, a floppy disk, you know, I'd heard all kinds of things about it, you know, that I could crash it. That sounds terrible. I could get a virus. My computer could be sick. <laughs> 
I didn't have a clue really what those things meant because I wasn't equipped to understand those things. In fact, um, I wouldn't do it today, but I read through the entire manual before I turned the thing on because I was somewhat fearful that I would do something wrong and destroy this computer in some sort of way. You know, I just wasn't equipped to handle it emotionally, had hard hands. I didn't have the right attitudes in my heart. I was fearful about it. I'd spent 2000 bucks on the thing, and I wasn't willing to make that kind of investment and, and then screw the whole thing up, see. So, uh, but before too long, I discovered that uh, crashing it was not a big deal. As long as you saved, as long as you kept your stuff saved very often, then crashing it, all you had to do was just reboot the computer. It wasn't a big deal at all. And I discovered that a virus, yeah, you can get a virus, but you could keep yourself from getting viruses by not trading off software with other people. You know, that playing their games, you get virus and that sort of things. So I learned how to prevent that from happening. And then if you did get a virus, that there were ways to get rid of it. And so you were, it wasn't that big a deal. And so what happened is I dealt with my fears and I got better equipped. I discovered that I could, the reason I bought it originally is because I was in seminary and doing papers, you know. And, and so it was a word processing. I discovered that I could play games on this thing. <laughs> what a distraction that was. <laughs> And then I discovered I could do my finances. And before too long, I discovered that there was all sorts of capability that this thing had, that I just didn't have any clue in the beginning. See, I believe that that's what it is with us. See, see Christ is in you. Jesus is in you right now. See? And you're just not entirely equipped to let him function. See, the question is not getting more of Jesus. It's letting the Jesus you have out, letting him function through you. And that's what equipping is, you know, getting, your, getting your mind wrapped around what it is that God wishes to do through you and then understanding how these things work and then dealing with some of the fears that might accompany that. What will people think? All those kinds of ideas that, that touch us and getting fully equipped. See, I'm convinced that any person in this room can have a really functional, fruitful, supernatural experience with God for the rest of this year. You really can. You can have ten times as many things happening after today than you did before. I really believe that, that we can, you can have that kind of impact simply because of understanding what Jesus wants to do through you and in you. There's no reason why you can't have 20 experiences of healing this year. And many of you may be more than that. Let's move on here. Formation needs to precede impartation. Timothy was the same kind of vessel that Paul was for Christ. Sometimes people want an impartation of Christ-like power without formation of Christ-like understanding and character. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 14, which is the verse before, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance and with the laying on hands by the presbytery. See, now, we can impart spiritual gifts to people, but they get it at the level they can receive it the level of their faith, the level of their capacity to understand how it functions. So what happens is, is I really can, I really believe that we've seen this over and over again. We can teach people to do healing ministry, and many of the people that we teach to do healing ministry do it at the same level I do. And some of them may be better. That'd be fine. That's fine with me. In fact, I, I believe that there, we've seen a number of people that actually do it better than I do. And uh, the reason that they do it is simply they have pretty much the same understanding that I do. And that's why impartation, uh, it really is often affected strongly by formation. Everybody get this? So you, see, you can be, turn to somebody and say, don't be a Coke bottle. Be a wash tub. 
<laughs> All right, good. What if I, let's see, Ephesians 4.11, equipping the saints. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. The primary ministry of the five-fold ministry, sometimes they call it four-fold ministry, but in any case, primary ministry of these folks is to equip the saints, not just to demonstrate that they're gifted. I know that some of you have had exposure of prophetic ministries. Well, prophetic ministries uh, should all be able to prophesy, read your mail, you know, get words of knowledge, uh, you know, I had somebody sitting across from me from at breakfast this morning who moved prophetically and spoke to me prophetically. That's, they ought to all be able to do that. But they also all need to be able to equip the saints to do that so that the entire body of Christ becomes more prophetic. So what happens if we have functional apostles? Then they ought to make the entire body of Christ more apostolic. The entire body of Christ needs to be more prophetic, more evangelistic. If these ministries function in, the, in our midst, then we all ought to be more and more like Jesus because he was the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, the, the evangelist. He is, when we see fivefold ministry, they are the ministry of Christ functioning in the church in these separate ways. So if I am able to minister healing to the sick, then I ought to be able to teach you to do it, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Yes, shake your head up and down. So you can learn to do this. And some of you are destined by God to outdistance me and your pastor and everyone else in this area. Would that be okay? Yeah. You're, you know, there's no reason why you can, that, that God can use you in a way that perhaps none of us even envisioned. Yeah. How many people does it take to create revival in this region? Well, maybe a few more. But what it does take is a group of people who are committed to it that have expectation that God will meet people's needs when they walk in the door here. You know, it takes a it takes high high level of expectation. Can you just begin to expect that every Sunday morning when you gather, wherever you gather, if it's here or someplace else, that the normal everyday experience of the church should be healing? It should be ordinary. It was the most ordinary thing that happened in the early church. Uh, Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence and Man's Verdict, uh, records statements out of history about the church. And one of the statements he records, it's one of the Roman emperors that was not a believer, and it just escapes me which one it was, but I'll have to go back and look at that. But uh, he said that this Roman emperor said this, and I'll just paraphrase it. So what if these Christians are healing the sick and, and raising the dead? It doesn't mean that they're right. The most ordinary experience that even the Roman emperor knew that was common in the early church was healing. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Could you be with Jesus and be sick? The most ordinary aspect of his ministry was healing the sick. Everywhere he went, people got healed. And so we would have to expect that with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is in our midst, Jesus is present, that we would see as an ordinary expression of the work of the Spirit is healing. There should be a, there's a church in, uh, in uh, Virginia, the pastor said to me once, he's, I'd been there four or five times, and he says, Roger, we're not going to invite you again for a long time. And I said, why is that? Did I offend someone? Or? He said, no, he says, we've got this healing thing really working. He says, uh, he says, we, uh, he says, no, but we don't have any sick people in our church anymore. 
He says, everybody's gotten healed. In fact, you can't even sniffle in our church with somebody wanting to pray for you. <laughs> That's really the way it ought to be. We ought to have this high expectation, you know, that things, you know, and, you know, and there's going to be a few log jams in the mix of things, you know, things that don't give really quickly. You know how to get rid of a log jam? Pray for the river to rise. Yeah, you can't fix it yourself. Log jams, you know, you won't be able to fix those log jams yourself, but you will be able to believe God for more, that he will change the circumstance, bring angelic beings to present and into the circumstance to change the circumstance so that this person can receive. Pray for the river to rise. Moving right along here. What if I don't have the gift of healing? What you don't have, you can obtain from God. Let's just make that clear. What you don't have functioning today, you can obtain from God. Remember the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Why would God say this through the Apostle Paul if he was unwilling to give us spiritual gifts? Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Very strong in Greek. Desire with great desire spiritual gifts. Now, why do we do? Why do we want spiritual gifts? One reason alone. The proper motive for spiritual gifts is to help others. That's the only real motive for it is to help others, to be a blessing to others, to edify others. To, you know, in fact, if you want spiritual gifts so that you can be an important person you know, uh, in the body of Christ, that's the wrong motive. Besides that, you'll discover that everything comes with a little bit of a caveat, you know, that, that not everybody likes prophets and nobody, not everybody likes uh, healing ministry and so on. You know, the bottom line is that you'll have to do it for the right reason, that you care about people. Yes? And if you get it working, then don't be a big shot about it. Don't, uh, you know, make yourself available. You, you know, if you really have healing working, then that means sometimes that you're going to spend a lot of time praying, for, praying with people. And you may pray to 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Put yourself in a mission situation where there are thousands and thousands of people coming with needs. You know, you're going to find yourself very tired at times ministering to others. Are you willing to pay that kind of price? Shake your head up and down. It's worth it. Believe me, it's worth it. Believe me, I, I have seen, I've seen thousands of people healed over the years, and every time I see the Lord touch someone, it helps me. It helps me. I'm increased by it. You know, the grace of God working in their lives, God showing them kindness and love and giving them a gift in that way. Every time it happens, I know that I am affected in a positive way by it. So, you know, I, I believe God's a good God. I don't, and I know that by experience, not just by theology. He's a good God. Cares about the people in front of him. Mark chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. You're called if you're a believer to heal the sick. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. If they drink deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Hear the words of Jesus very positive about our capacity to do that. Jesus is exercising some faith in us, isn't he? That we're going to get this thing working. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We have, uh, I've been involved in this 15 years. And when I started it, I would say to you that uh, what I've seen in the last 15 years is there's been a multiplication of this ministry in the body of Christ. In fact, I would say to you there's 100 times as much healing happening in America 
uh, today than there was 15 years ago. And I'm not in any way taking uh, uh, credit for that. It's been lots of God doing it through a lot of different groups of people, lots of different things. But we have every reason to believe that another 10 years, perhaps, it'll be a thousand times as much healing. That the ordinary people in the church, the ordinary church fellowship of believers will really have this thing working. There's no reason for us not to expect that. That we, or we didn't get people healed 10 years ago. We didn't succeed in getting them healed. I believe that we're going to succeed in those situations we didn't before. Yes? I believe so. I really think that we're going to see amazing change. And I think a lot of this is going to come on the backs of young people, that they are just really going to have a vision for this and go forward with it, and they're going to outdistance uh, all of us who have a little gray hair. But that'll be fine. But some of us who have a little gray hair are going to get busy with it too. Um, you know, the Apostle John didn't really get busy in ministry. I mean, he had, a, he had a reasonably effective ministry, but his really effective time was after he was 80 years old. The last 20 years of his life, he was amazingly effective in ministry. And he was, you know, he, he, he passed away after he was 100 years old. So he had 20 years of incredible effective ministry after he was 80 years old. So those of you who think that you're going to get to retire, you may just get to be refired. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not planning on retiring. How about you? Let's, uh, let's work through chapter 2 here, the model of ministry is Christ. Now, in the church in America, we have a pretty good vision about um, that Jesus was sinless. He didn't do anything wrong. Everybody say, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Didn't he didn't do anything wrong. He was sinless, and that's why he can die for our sins. And the evangelical church, Pentecostals, everybody has pretty much grasped this, this fact. And this, this fact has been pretty much emphasized in just about every group. The flip side of this is that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Uh, the, fact, the flip side of what he did, he didn't do anything wrong, is that he did everything right. And that he was completely righteous in everything he did. And therefore, he becomes the perfect model of what healing ministry should look like. Everybody say the model. See, Jesus didn't do healing ministry out of his own power. That's a very important point. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? He didn't know she was there. The Holy Spirit healed her through him. And he wasn't even aware that it happened. He had emptied himself. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. He had emptied himself of all his capacity as God. And what we see there is a perfect man ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit, being guided, directed, and so on by that. Understanding the will of the Father through prayer. Understanding you know, what the scriptures had taught previously. And so here Christ is demonstrating to us what it means to be perfectly righteous, to be completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. He becomes the perfect model for these 12 ordinary men, 70 more later, and this is very important stuff. Um, the perfect will of God is revealed in Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 18, from the Amplified Version, this, this verse reads, No man has seen God at any time. The only unique Son, the only begotten God who is in the bosom that is in the intimate presence of the Father. He has declared Him. He has revealed Him, brought Him out where He may be seen. He has interpreted Him, and He has made Him known. Now, if we replace the pronouns in the second half of this verse with the words that they're actually representing, it reads like this. Jesus Christ has declared the Father. Jesus Christ has revealed the Father, brought the Father out where the Father can be seen, Jesus Christ has interpreted the Father, and Jesus Christ has made the Father known. Now, from this verse and this verse alone, how are we as Christians to know the Father? 
through Christ. I mentioned it last night. Father is like the son. The son is like the father. Pretty simple truth, but a life-changing truth when you grasp what it means because then it begins to affect what you understand to be the will of the father. Remember the disciples, let me just say the entire culture had not thought of God as father. Jesus is revealing something brand new, a new covenant expression of what God is like. He's telling, remember the, the Jews were offended because he was calling God his father? They were not thinking of God as father. They were not thinking God as intimate in any kind of way. Remember, they couldn't come near to God but once a year. Only one man once a year could come near to God. And, uh, in fact, you know, they tied a rope around his, his leg in case he died in the presence of God. That's a very different expression than the New Covenant says, come boldly to the throne of grace to see, receive mercy and help in time of need. Very different. You know, we, we're fairly used to the idea of Father, but they were not used to it at all. And so Jesus, in saying these things, he was presenting God in a very different kind of way than they were used to hearing. Uh, he was expressing the New Covenant. Jesus Christ has interpreted the Father and made the Father known. So one of the things that happens to Christians is often when they don't understand this truth that Christ reveals the Father, then what happens is that the will of God becomes really fuzzy. They just don't know what God wants. And so you hear people praying, if it be thy will, O God. You know, they're praying in that kind of way, kind of religious way, never really nailing down what it is that God really wishes. And I have to tell you that I was in that condition myself as a charismatic Pentecostal-style preacher for many years, not really being clear on what God wanted to do. And in the area of healing, in the area of healing, I wasn't clear unless I had a word of knowledge. And some of you have seen people function that way in healing ministry, where they get up in front of people. It's really the, probably the most common paradigm of healing ministry is people try to get words of knowledge to call people out of the audience for healing. Have you ever seen people do that? It's the, it's the paradigm that John Wimber taught. And so it's very popular throughout the United States. The problem is it's very hard to duplicate. And it only gets a very small percentage of the people healed. And it's not really what Jesus taught his disciples to do. It does work to some degree because God's gracious and he wants people to be well. So people, But what it does is it gives the impression that those who don't have a word of knowledge that God doesn't want to heal them. See, and So it gives a false impression in that sense. And so sometimes people are waiting for God to speak to them that they're supposed to be well when Jesus healed everyone in the multitudes, never turned anyone away. That the cross, you know, the scripture tells us that the cross, Jesus bore our pain, carried our sorrows by his stripes were healed. That has already been done for us. So we see the will of God being expressed in Christ by healing everyone in the multitudes. Remember last night I said the good, the bad, and the ugly all got healed? Turn to somebody and say, which are you? This is important truth. This is an important truth because when I begin to see that Jesus was healing the good and the bad in the multitudes, then all of a sudden that witch standing in front of me was a candidate for healing. I saw the will of God differently, see. I didn't need a word of knowledge to tell me that Jesus would heal her because I, if she had been in the multitudes coming to Jesus, she would have gotten healed no matter what she had been doing. See? And when a drug addict comes up to me, shows me his tracks, it happened to me in, several times actually, but in San Diego, a guy came up and showed me his tracks, HIV positive, heroin addict, took a fix two hours before he said, well, Jesus heal him. See, if you don't have a word of knowledge, you know, somehow a revelation beforehand, then you might not do that. However, I saw, I had the revelation of Christ in the multitudes, 
that this man, if he'd been in the multitudes, Jesus would have healed him. How would Peter have responded if you had said, well, maybe God doesn't want to heal that man. Maybe it's not his will. Peter would have said, where'd you get that idea? Jesus healed many such men. They would have seen Jesus in a different way. They would not have been waiting for a specific revelation of the Holy Spirit because they had Christ as their example. That's what their example was. That's what they knew the will of God from. In the area of finances, I've had my financial situation completely, radically changed as a result of seeing what Christ taught about finances. You know, it's been, uh, and the Lord, uh, Lord uh, changes areas, changed everything in that realm for me. I get, uh, I get financial dreams, and God tells me to, what to do. And, you know, the, I, two years ago, the Lord told me the stock market was going to go to hell in a handbasket. And uh, so I got everything out of the stock market. And uh, I put it in gold and silver bullion, and it went <laughs> straight up. You know, and we've seen that over the years. The Lord has guided me and directed me. On one occasion, the Lord told me to do something in a dream. Uh, that I, Just one, one transaction. And it increased my net worth by $800,000 after three months. And so, you know, the Lord knows how to take care of his people. We don't have to tax the church for support. He knows how to take care of people. And the bottom line is that none of that worked for me until I saw what Jesus taught about finances. Because the church often has a mixture in that particular area. And I saw what Jesus revealed by the multitudes. That God was willing to bless people financially in the multitudes. I don't have a poverty mentality, do you? I don't also, I'm not, I'm not um, in the other stream either. I don't have a prosperity mentality that believes that, that, believes that I should you know, drive a huge, a huge car or live in a mansion or do all those kinds of things either. Whatever God has done for me, he's done because he wants me to have assets to help other people. He wants me to affect the body of Christ by what he's done for me. <clears throat> Moving right along. Christ-centered. Christ reveals the Father. In the midst of healing the sick, casting out demons, doing these miraculous events, Jesus said things to his disciples that are very appointed. Remember last night I mentioned the fact that we... Uh, um, the Gospel of John tells us at the end that if all the things that Jesus had done had been written down, not even the whole world contained the book. So what we have in the New Testament is, a, is uh, some general accounts, about 20 general accounts of Jesus' ministry of healing people in the multitudes. We have another 25 or so accounts, depending on how you count them. Some of them are repeated in several of the Gospels, like the woman with the issue of blood. The story of her is repeated in three Gospels. The centurion's servants repeated in two Gospels. Some of them are, are, are repeated in different Gospels, but we have about 25 stories of Jesus healing individuals. And these stories give us a great deal of information about how healing ministry works. And these stories were recorded by the disciples, by the uh, early followers of Jesus, uh, because they were important stories that illustrated certain truth. And so we can, as we study the, study the Gospels, we can see there what Jesus taught his disciples. And... In the midst of all these things that he's saying to them, John chapter 4, 20, uh, 34, Jesus said, And my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus is not call, calling these miracles and signs of wonders. He's not calling them his works. He's calling them the Father's works. They're his works. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Unless it's something he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So what Jesus was doing 
is what he's seen the Father doing. And obviously the Father was healing everyone who came to Jesus, and that's what Jesus was doing because that's what the Scripture records over and over again. The Scripture, by the way, never records anything like, uh, and, but there were a few that Jesus didn't heal. It doesn't say anything like that. In fact, if, you know, there is some theology out there, we call it the 90-10 theology, that says this, that God wants to heal 90%, but 10% he doesn't really want to heal. He's doing something special in their lives. There's theology is out there. It's pretty popular, actually. And uh, the way it works out, by the way, the human nature is this, is that if you teach 90-10, then 90% of humanity will find themselves in the 10. So you'll get 10% of the people healed if that's what you buy into. And it's not what Jesus taught his disciples, not what they saw. They saw him healing everyone in the multitude, the good and the bad, the ugly, everyone receiving healing, him never turning anyone away, never indicating that somebody was too sinful or God had a reason for them remaining sick. And we'll get into doubts later this afternoon, but we're going to spend some time dealing with the whole subject of doubt, how doubt interferes with us having just simple faith in Jesus and how to capture your doubts. And once you capture your doubts, believe me, this stuff will work consistently for you. Moving right along. Um, 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Remember Jesus healing the sick, and he's saying these things is what the disciples are hearing. Jesus is continuing to point them back to what they're seeing him do is the will of the Father. That's important stuff, because the reason that many people in the church today have really don't have clarity about what God wishes to do in the area of healing is they have not seen Christ reveal it to his disciples. They haven't learned in the way that 12 learned. See, I'm convinced about this, that if you can see Jesus in the way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and those guys, you know, um, you can see Jesus in the way that, uh, that Peter saw Jesus, then you can have a, a similar ministry to Peter. See, it's the problem is, is that we haven't seen Jesus in the way that they've seen him. We haven't learned the will of God in the same way that they learned it. And that's what we need. See, what happened to me is I went from being, I'd say, an overly spiritual Christian that was looking for a revelation, trying to pull a revelation out of the air, trying to get a word of knowledge to determine whether God wanted to heal, to seeing Christ. And I went from seeing you know, one or two people healed each year to seeing thousands of people healed each year. That's the difference because my foundation was different. It wasn't based on a word of knowledge any longer. It was based on the revelation that's in the scripture of Jesus himself. So you want to know what the glory of God looks like? Christ. That's what it looks like. Verse 8. I mean, John 8, uh, the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he was speaking them to the Father. Not only did what Jesus was doing was revealing the will of God, but what he was saying was revealing the will of the Father, showing them moment by moment, situation by situation, person by person, by question by question, all the things that Jesus said in these things were revealing the will of the Father. John 8, 40, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, Jesus said this to his enemies. He was pointing out that what he was telling them was coming from God the Father. Uh, in John 8, 55, I do know him and keep his word. John 10, 15, the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then we mentioned this passage last night, John 14, 6 through 13. Uh, where he's interacting with Philip and Thomas, which were two of the 
apostles that had the most trouble. They weren't the most successful. In fact, with the exception of Judas, they were the least successful of all the apostles. And Jesus points out, here John points out to us this conversation with Jesus and these men, trying to correct the deficiency that they had. And their deficiency was that they didn't see this simple truth, didn't understand the importance of this simple truth that when you see the Father, when you see Christ, you see the Father. This is so essential to having the supernatural work that I'm convinced that when people don't see this, they never get it working. In fact, in my book called Performing Miracles and Healing out there, the first chapter is on this subject, and I point out it's really easy to just read through this in a hurry and assume that you got it because it's such a simple truth that it doesn't take any real intellectual ability to conceive this, to understand it. However, if you're not careful, you'll overlook it and think that you got it and then fail to apply it. And I've seen people do that. In fact, I had a call from a um, a Swiss pastor. Uh, He called me and he said that one of his friends had been in some of our meetings in the Northeast and seen how easily we got people healed and, you know, the high level of percentage of the people getting healed. And he said that, you know, he asked me, he said, Brother Roger, what's your secret? I said, uh, we don't really have a secret. We preach Christ. We believe he's the model of healing ministry. We believe that we should teach what he taught his disciples, that it's just really about Jesus in every way. He says, yes, 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 we believe this too, but what's your secret? And I said, well, I really don't have a secret. We preach Christ. <laughs> we believe it's about Jesus. We believe Father heals because of what Jesus has done. We believe Jesus is the model. We believe it's all about the cross and you know, all the, we believe that Jesus taught his disciples to do this in the proper kind of way. So that's what we teach. Yes, 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 we believe this too. But what's your secret? I said, you know, I think the problem is here that you're thinking something else beside Christ. Something else. Some secret beyond Christ. And I'm telling you, I think that may be the problem. That you think it's something else. That there's some sort of something else that's necessary. And I said, no, it's faith in Christ and so on. That's what gets this work done. He said, and I said to him, I said, listen, we're doing meetings in Geneva in a few months. Why don't you come to the meetings in Geneva, Switzerland, and, uh, and you can see what we do. He came to the meetings. He didn't identify himself to me. And after four meetings, he came up to me and, and introduced himself and told me he was the man that talked to me on the phone. And he said, first time in Christian ministry, 30 years of Christian ministry, did he really understand that Christian ministry is about Christ? He was off into all sorts of other things and had neglected the ministry of Christ. See, see God is Christ-centered whether we are or not. We can be off into all sorts of trendy truths, and, you know, those trendy truths are all true. There's nothing untrue about them, but when they're not Christ-centered, they have no power to change people's lives. Everything needs to be centered in Christ. A friend of mine says that Jesus is the best-kept secret of the American church. You can go to many charismatic churches and sit through hour after hour of ministry and they won't even mention Jesus. As if he, you know, you got saved coming in there, but, you know, it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about something else, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit or whatever. But Jesus is no longer at the center of what they're teaching. It's trendy truths, apostles, prophets, intercession, spiritual warfare. But Jesus has long been out of their message altogether. No, no, they're not Christ-centered anymore. And they, then they're puzzled why nothing is happening. And uh, yeah, years and years ago, I was—I used to hear, before I actually was involved in any kind of direct ministry, I would 
hear people talk about, ministers talk about going overseas and seeing all the signs and wonders, you know, when they would go to India or China or someplace like that, and they would have healing functioning. And then they'd come back to their own churches and nothing would happen. And, uh, you know, they were puzzled by that and should be puzzled by it because if spiritual warfare is true, by the way, why would it happen in India and not happen here? The difference is, I'll tell you what the difference is. When they went to India, they talked about Jesus. When they came back to their own congregations, they figured their own congregations understood these things and they didn't talk about Jesus. That's the difference. The gospel needs to be at the center of things. We'll get into more of that later, but... John, uh, let's see, John fourteen six. when you see the Father, you know, uh, uh, some, of the, some of you were with, how many of you weren't with us last night? Okay, well, let me just say a few more things here. Here, Jesus, in this passage, this passage historically was written, it was the last book of the Bible written, uh, so this passage comes when John is 100 years old. He already knows when the, what's happened to all the disciples he knows that they're, uh, what, how successful they were in their ministries, and he's picked out this conversation between these two disciples to recount it for us that he knows were not very successful. Two, two, of, the, two of the 12, uh, really, I guess probably if you consider Judas there, then nine of the apostles were reasonably successful. The other, these three, were not so successful. And so here, uh, in this conversation, he identifies something that where Christ actually corrects this man Philip after he interacts with with um, uh, Thomas, and uh, he says these qu- he says these things to him. Uh, How l- have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He's telling Philip you really needed to get this already. You should have already understood. When you see me, you see the Father. See, this particular truth is a neglected truth in the American church, or even in the Western church, and it's the reason why most people in the church. Uh, are fuzzy on what God wants to do for them. And it's fuzzy on what, and when they pray, they're fuzzy, and so they don't get many answers because they don't pray in simple faith. But when you really begin to see what Jesus reveals to his disciples, then what you expect God to do is do the miraculous. And we'll get to that later this afternoon. But see, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Now, if we go into John seventeen fourteen, here Jesus says, this is on page 4, I have given them thy word. See, Jesus is describing uh, what he's been doing is giving the Father's word. Colossians 1.15, here Paul says, Christ is the image of the invisible Father. He's the image of the invisible God, which is very similar. When you see me, you see the Father. Here Paul is saying, when you see Christ, you're seeing the invisible God. So here the New Testament is very uh, consistent in revealing this thing, Colossians 2.10, and in him, Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you've been made complete. Everybody say complete. complete. This is the Greek word, teleos, okay? When Jesus says, it is finished at the cross, same Greek word, a little bit of different form of it, but the same Greek word, is finished. Nothing else is necessary. In Christ, you have been made complete. What God has done for you in Jesus satisfies God. You hear that? It satisfies God. God doesn't have any issues with you because of what Jesus has done. Everything God does for you now is because he is happy with you, not mad at you. Everybody hear that? Because of Christ. God is completely satisfied in what Jesus has done for you. The problem is, is that sometimes we're not satisfied with what God has done. 
And what happens is we become vulnerable to legalism, trying to, trying to earn something from God. We become vulnerable to keeping rules in order to be righteous. And what these rules do is they make us feel unrighteous ultimately. In fact, self-righteousness works two different ways. It works positive and negative, okay? Positive self-righteousness is that thing that most of us, you know, really find distasteful when somebody thinks that, that they're better than everyone else and that they are righteous in, in their own flesh and they're doing things the right kind of way. Everybody, most of us react to that. I think God does too, okay? <laughs> and negative self-righteousness is just as bad. You know what negative self-righteousness is? I'm such a worm. I'm such an unrighteous person. God can't do anything for me. See, the focus in both cases is on us. See? And that's why it's still self-righteousness. It's still self-righteousness because the focus is on our righteousness. And we've got to get past that because what Jesus has done satisfies God. We have been declared righteous on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. It's called justified. Just as if I never sinned. Some have said it that way. It means made righteous before God. We'll talk more about this a little bit later because... It is an issue with Christians, but it's not an issue with unbelievers, by the way. Sometimes Christians have trouble receiving healing because they feel unrighteous. Or they're trying to earn it in some sort of way. Remember I mentioned last night that there are some people that I've noticed have trouble receiving healing because, uh, you know, I noticed that they were inventing, really inventing a more noble cause for their healing. I want to be healed for the glory of God. You know what they're doing? is that they don't really believe at a basic level that God wants to heal them. So they have to become more righteous. And they've been a noble cause for their healing. I want to be healed because of the glory of God. I want him to be glorified. And what it is is really as a religious cloak for unbelief. And so what people, when people would say that to me, you know, I want to be healed for the glory of God, I'd grin at them and say, you know what, I think God will heal you just because you feel bad. It's because you're sick. You don't have to have a noble cause for your healing cause, because it's, uh, God, God has a noble cause because he loves you. See, we don't have to invent anything. We don't have to motivate God to heal us. He's already motivated. Healing is God's idea. It's not our idea. We don't have to convince him. He's trying to convince us. 